0: the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Feels good to be in God's house. Feels good to be in His wonderful presence this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Evan Sastar. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, just an absolute honor to be able to, uh, to preach today. Uh, but I do want to fill you in on some things. So about 10.20 p.m. last night, uh, I got a phone call that my mom had tested positive for COVID which is no good. Um, so dad was scheduled to preach today, but he, uh, he needs to be in quarantine with her, obviously. So I got the call at, at 1020 last night to preach. And so that, that's why I'm preaching today. But if you would um, keep them in your prayers, keep my mom and my dad in your prayers, pray for, for supernatural healing. Many of you have uh, you know, already been through COVID and, and you know how it is and it's, it's no fun. And so I just pray that you would be with them Um, in the meantime, I have preached this sermon before, but the same time I got a call at 1020 last night. So if you want to show me some grace, that'd be good. If I'm not making any sense, just shout amen anyways. Okay. You just, whatever. If it sounds like I'm preaching, you know, shout amen. 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 All right, good. We're practicing, but, uh, you know, excited to be in God's house this morning. Hey, uh, several years ago, I think I was probably in ninth grade or something like that. It was late one Saturday afternoon and my dad came up to me and said, hey, Evan, do you want to go fishing? And to be honest with you, I don't really care for fishing, but I told him I would go just to hang out with dad. And to be able to go fishing, like it's a whole deal. So you have to spend all this time getting the rods and the reels ready. It's a whole deal trying to get the boat uh, onto the trailer. Then we drive 20, 25 minutes out to this ramp. And then, you know, he's got to pull the thing in. And like, I'm in ninth grade, so he doesn't trust me with the truck or the boat for good reason. So he's having to do everything by himself. And it's just like a whole big deal. It's taken a whole lot of time. It's already late in the afternoon. So we get everything settled. And we've been fishing for probably about 30 minutes or something like that. When I get a text on my phone and it's a friend, he says, hey man, I have two free tickets to see the band Need to Breathe live at Furman tonight. Do you want to go? And immediately I'm like, yes, absolutely, this is awesome. Let me ask my dad just to be sure. And so I'm like, dad, can I go to this concert tonight? And he's like, well, yeah, that sounds good. What time's a concert gonna be? And I said, yeah, I think it's gonna be like, you know, 7.38 or whatever time it was gonna be. And I could see him doing the math in his head. If you're gonna get to this concert, we are going to have to, have to pack up and leave right now. And so I could, you know, he, he, he thought it through and then eventually said, yes, yeah, son, you can go. And so then we, we packed up everything and I went to the concert and I had a great time. But as I, as I think back on that story, I, I realized I wasn't able to put two and two together, if you know what I mean. I, I wasn't really thankful to my dad. I, I didn't you know, say, thank you, thank you so much. I, I didn't show a whole lot of love. I didn't give him this big old hug. I didn't see if we could reschedule it and go fishing another time. I was so consumed with my own world with what I wanted to do, with the concert that I wanted to go to that I really didn't show my dad a whole lot of grat- gratitude for the sacrifice that he had made for me. I didn't realize that this was his day off and he just wanted you know, to be out there and fish and I took that from him. I didn't realize that this was father and son time and, and he wanted to be out there with me and I'd rather have been at a concert and I just couldn't put it together. I, I was so consumed with myself that I didn't show the love and the gratitude and the thanks that I should have shown my father. And as I think about that story, I wonder if many of you in the room today or even watching online, if you were honest with yourself, that's, that's a bit how your relationship is with your heavenly father. That if you would just be honest, there's not a whole lot of love shown. Not a, not a whole lot of worship giving. That, that, that if you were real, your heart maybe has grown cold towards the Lord. I'm not saying you're not a Christian that you don't believe, but kind of the way you live is not a life of gratitude and praise and worship and thanksgiving. I mean, I show up to church, but I don't know that I'm really worshiping at church. I'm just here. The people at work know I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I really image Christ. I, I, I kind of look a little bit more like them. I say that I, I love Jesus, but I don't really spend a whole lot of time with Jesus if you are real, that the life you live is not one of unending gratitude and praise and thanks. But if I could just take a stab at diagnosing the problem, maybe the reason your heart has grown cold is because you haven't seen just how much your father has sacrificed for you. And maybe you need a deep revelation of just how much your father has done for you, sacrificed for you, and loves you. I couldn't see everything my dad did for me. And maybe today you need a fresh revelation that though you were a sinner, God the Father sent his only son to die on a cross for you. And maybe the key to your personal revival, the key to a heart, ablaze for God is not a bunch of emotions. It isn't hyping yourself up. It isn't saying, God, I'm gonna do better, but it's a fresh revelation of just how much your God has sacrificed for you. So today, that's why we're looking at Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. So what's going on is Jesus, uh, you know, he has his ministry. He's starting to get a little bit of fame when a man named Simon, who is a Pharisee, invites him over to his house for dinner. And while Jesus is there at at dinner at uh, Simon the Pharisee's house, um, something absolutely crazy happens. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Everybody in the room stand in, in honor of the reading of the word. And here's what we're going to do today. I, instead of reading just a portion of the story, I want to read the whole story. And it's a little bit longer scripture reading than maybe sometimes that we're used to. But here's what I want to invite you to do. As I begin to read this, this scripture, this, this story of scripture, don't zone out. Don't wait for me to retell it later. But I want to invite you to read along with me, to listen with me. To allow the living, breathing word of God to pierce your soul with this story about Jesus. Allow God's bare word to make an impact on you. I invite you into this story as I read it today. So Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 36 says this. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There's a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, "Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven." And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you. You may be seated. So grateful for the power of God's word. So here's what's going on. Jesus is is out in his ministry. He's he's kind of getting some fame, some some notoriety, when all of a sudden Simon, this Pharisee, invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. Now, if you don't know who the Pharisees are, the Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. And their whole like shtick, their whole thing is that they were very, very self-righteous. They thought that they always followed the law, that they never sinned, that they never did anything wrong. And in fact, they were so righteous that they could invent their own laws on top of the Bible and then impose them on the regular folk. And so these were self-righteous people who thought they had it all together. And as Simon is inviting Jesus over to his house, he's not inviting him because he believes in Jesus or wants to be a Christian. He's inviting him over because Jesus has been hailed as a prophet and he's going to test him. He's going to see, in my estimation, if this man Jesus is really a prophet, I'll be the judge of that. So Jesus goes in Simon's house and as he's sitting down to eat, this woman who's a notorious sinner in the community finds out that Jesus is there and she makes her way into the house. And to be honest with you, I don't know how that happened because if somebody just walked up in my house, you're gonna hear gunshots or fighting or something, but she just walked right on in. So he must've had an open door policy. She finds her way in. She knows that Jesus is there and she gets down on her feet and she begins worshiping him. And in fact, she begins washing his feet with her own tears and hair and her own perfume that she brought. And as Simon sees this, he's not happy or joyous. He's not looking at the forgiveness of Jesus. He's indignant. He's angry. He's upset. I thought this man was a prophet. But if this man was really a prophet, he would know exactly who this woman is. She is a sinner, and he'd have nothing to do with her. How dare this man come in my house and embarrass me like that? How dare he treat her with grace and mercy? How dare he let this sinful woman touch his feet? And he's just over there scowling and silently judging. And Jesus, who's God, who's omniscient, knows the the thoughts of everyone's hearts, knows what's going through Simon. And he looks over at Simon. And I don't think Jesus was stoic. I think he had a face about him. Like, y'all know, like, flipping tables in the temple, Jesus? I think that Jesus came out just a little bit. Y'all know that look your dad gives you right before he's about to spank you? You know what I'm saying? That, like, ang like, Jesus is looking at him like that. And he looks over and he says, Simon, I have something I need to say to you. And Simon, with this fake little smile, says, say it, Lord. And Jesus goes into this parable. He says that there is a creditor and he loaned money to to two people and one owed him 50 denarii and the other 500. A denarii is basically a month's worth of wages and neither of them could pay. So he freely forgave them both. Now tell me, Simon, which one of them will love the creditor more? And he says, I suppose the one who has been forgiven more. And he's like, you're right. Now let's turn to this woman. I walked in your house and you didn't even give me water to wash my own feet. But this woman, she hasn't quit washing my feet with her hair and her tears. I walked in here, you didn't even give me basic oil for my head, but this woman brought her own perfume and is using it on my feet. I walked in your house and you didn't even give me a kiss. The kind of modern day equivalent of a handshake, a a simple greeting. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You want to know why, Simon? Because her sins are many, but she's loved much because she's been forgiven much. But Simon, I need you to hear me. He who is forgiven little loves little. And now he's speaking right into Simon's soul. And in fact, the truth is, Simon didn't love little. He didn't really love at all. And you want to know why? Simon didn't love at all because he didn't think he needed forgiveness at all. Self-righteous, thinks he's perfect, sinless, got it together. Jesus, why would I do anything for you? You have nothing to offer me. The lack of love in Simon's life is because he did not properly understand the gospel, that he was a great and terrible sinner. But this woman, she got it. You see, this woman knew that she was a sinner. This woman knew that what Simon said about her was true. What all the Pharisees in the room said about her was true. That what the whole community said about her was true. She is a sinner but she knew something that Simon didn't. Though she was a great and terrible sinner, Jesus was a great and mighty savior. And she had a deep revelation of the gospel that I have done too much and I have gone too far and yet Jesus has still come to forgive me. And so because of what he's done for me, because of what he will sacrifice for me, I will give him my all. Tears in my eyes, laying down at his feet, washing his feet, using my perfume. God, I know what you've done for me and I give you my all. A heart set ablaze for Jesus is a heart that truly gets the gospel. It reminds me of this story that my grandfather, Starr, told me. He said that he was pastoring in Pennsylvania, and uh, he had a girl who started coming to his church, and she dated a man named Frank, and Frank was bad news. Frank had been caught up in drinking and alcoholism. He was getting drunk all the time and he was just pulling her down and pulling her away from Jesus. And so giving her some good pastoral advice, he says, look, you need to break up with Frank. And so she did it. But apparently when she did it, she said, hey, Pastor Papaw told me to break up with you, so I'm doing it. So she just kind of let the cat out of the bag there and Frank was not happy. So eventually Frank shows up one night to my grandfather's house, completely drunk, knocks on the door and he calls him out there. He says, I want to fight you. My grandfather says, Frank, I'm not gonna fight you. Starts roughing him up a little bit, pushing him on the ground. Frank, I'm not gonna fight you. Rips his shirt. Frank, I'm not gonna fight you. Gives him a black eye. Frank, I'm not gonna fight you. Eventually the cops are called. Frank speeds off. Papa doesn't really see him again. Then one day, Frank's brother Paul calls my grandfather. They had a good relationship. Paul was in the military and he was back home for just a few days and he wanted to come over to my grandfather's house and have him pray for him before he was shipped off again. And so my grandfather was on the phone with Paul and he hears a voice in the background that says, I'm not allowed to go over there anymore. And he says, Paul, is that your brother Frank in the background? He says, yeah, it is. He says, you tell him to come over tonight. And that very night, Frank showed up to my grandfather's house with his brother, Paul, where everything went down and my grandfather forgave him. And from that point on, everything changed. They took on a building project. They were gonna build a brand new parsonage for the church. And so my grandfather was building it. And he said, after that day, Frank showed up every single day to help him build that parsonage. And in fact, there would be times that my grandfather would walk out and he'd see Frank sitting in his car, tears streaming down his face, going, Pastor, why are you so good to me? Can I tell you this, that a heart renewed in love is a heart that's been brought to its knees, tears in its eyes, saying, Jesus, why have you been so good to me. And it is that heart that gives its all to Jesus. And so I ask you today, has your heart grown cold? Has your love grown cold? that I'm in church and I'm not worshiping, I'm, I'm at work, but I'm not really serving Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm married, but I'm not really being a good husband or good wife that represents Christ. I, you know, I claim to be a Christian, but I'm not really living it. Is Has your heart grown cold? Listen to me today. A heart renewed in love will not come by you wanting it more, working harder, trying harder, trying harder. A heart renewed in love can only come from a deep revelation of the gospel that you are a sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. And so if I can preach to you for a moment, may I bring you down here before I bring you up here. Listen to me, before Jesus, you were a sinner. You were born in sin. David says that in sin did my mother conceive me. The apostle Paul says that we were by nature children of wrath, rebelling against God, sowing death into the world by our thoughts, words, and deeds, running away from God, destined for an eternal hell. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, desperately needing life. You were sicker than you even knew. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it, as Jeremiah says? A sinner, guilty, dead, destined for hell. But can I lift you up? The scriptures tell us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. The God of the universe became a man and lived a perfect life for you. The God of the universe suffered and died on a cross for you. The God of the universe got up three days later for you. The author of life himself tasted death for you. You are a great and terrible sinner, but Jesus is an even better savior. And though you had rebelled against God, born in your sin, he loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you. This is the gospel. Come on, lift up Jesus. And that may sound like simple preaching, but that's exactly what we need. It is only a revelation of the gospel that sets our hearts ablaze for Jesus. But we don't wanna just be renewed in our hearts. We don't don't just wanna be on fire for Jesus. We want it to manifest into action. Like I don't wanna have all of this, this energy that I'm so excited about Jesus, but I never do anything with it. God has called us to live obedient lives, worshipful lives. We wanna move into a life committed to Jesus. And I think that as we look at this story, the sinful woman is the, is the perfect expression of what it looks like to be a Christian whose heart is on fire for God. I mean, think about this. This woman was a notorious sinner. Like this was her reputation in her town. She would much rather be hiding in a house somewhere, hiding in a back room somewhere, not really you know, showing her face to anybody. But what does she do? When she hears that her savior is in town, she steps in a room with the most self-righteous people you could find. Knowing that they would glare at her, look at her, judge her, and publicly condemn her. But she said, I don't care what anybody thinks, my savior's in that room and I've got to worship him. That's what a true Christian looks like. Not only that, but she, she brings her own perfume, her own oil. That, that was something she paid with, with, with her own money. That was something she worked for. And you know, the, the scriptures don't necessarily say it, but I think it was some pretty nice perfume. Like it doesn't kind of let off that it's like $10 CVS cologne you buy before a first date, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is the good stuff, okay? This is the good stuff and she bought it for her. But my Savior's in that room. And I know how much I spent and I know what I was gonna do with it. And I know that it's technically mine, but Jesus is in that room and I wanna give him my all. But then finally, she's washing Jesus' feet and you've gotta understand, to wash someone's feet in that day was the job of a servant or a slave. Societally speaking, this was the job of someone who was at the lowest of the low, the bottom rung of the ladder. And yet she shows up. She's not a slave, she's not a servant, she makes herself one and begins to wash Jesus' feet. But you've got to realize that washing someone's feet in that day is not like washing someone's feet in this day. Those feet were stinky. They were nasty. They didn't have closed-toed shoes. They had these kind of boo-boo open-toed shoes walking around all day, not good, not meant to hold up together. He's walking around in that, that Middle Eastern heat all day. There's sweat, there's sand everywhere just caking up on those feet. I mean, it is something nasty. And then they didn't have cars either They had camels. And when camels got to go, they got to go. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is walking down the street. The apostle Peter says something crazy. And he's like, what? And he's not paying attention and he steps right in it. And this woman gets down, not just to these nasty feet, but it gets even better and even worse. If you know what I mean, that she gets down and she doesn't have a towel. She could throw away afterwards. She's only got her hair. She doesn't have a a bucket of water that she can really use. She's only got her tears of humble thanks and repentance. She doesn't have oil provided by Simon, only only the expensive perfume that she paid for herself. And as disgusting and demeaning and nasty as it is, Jesus, I know what you've done for me. And I don't care what it costs. I will give you my all. Christians who know the gospel get down and do the dirty work, no matter the cost. It reminds me of several months ago, we were sitting in our house, me and my wife Elizabeth and she has like a, like a superhero sense of smell. So she starts smelling all this like musty stuff. And then eventually I kind of came around to it and there's just like musty smell in the air. And so we're kind of asking questions, what could it be? And someone suggested, hey, there's probably water like sitting under your house that's causing this. You need to go check it out, you being me right? So I'm like, okay. So I open the gate, I'm getting down there and immediately like two major fears hit me, claustrophobia and then the fear of snakes. Okay. Cause there's pipes everywhere and I've got to like crawl under something, rendering myself defenseless only for I'm sure a rattlesnake to come bite me in the face and end it all. Okay. That's what I'm ready for. And so I'm having like, she thinks I'm down there tinkering with stuff and I'm just down there for like 30 minutes, like giving myself a pep talk. Like you are a grown man. You have a house and a dog. You can do this. You can, let's go. You can do this. So I'm hyping myself up and eventually I go do it. And sure enough, there's water down there. And we think that it was basically leaking from the pipes because there wasn't enough insulation. So I call my friend, Brandon, Brandon Davis, and he says, hey, I'll come help you out and, and I'll come help you put more insulation on there. So we schedule a day for Brandon to come help me. And the one day that we schedule, it is pouring rain. And we have got to get this done. So now not only are me and Brandon down there, not only am I scared of being trapped, bitten by a snake, and like entering into this like spider community living under my house. Now it is absolutely disgusting. I mean, there is mud everywhere. We're having to like walk in my backyard. So we're completely soaked. There's mud all in my pants. They're practically ruined. It was a disgusting, disgusting job. But I was going to get it done because I want my wife to know I care about you. I love you. I'm gonna build a good home for you. And I'm gonna make sure that you and I don't have to smell weird musty stuff. We're gonna like, enjoy our home. I was committed to her and I was ready to, to, to do the dirty work no matter what it cost. And I want you to know this, that a true Christian committed to Jesus because they know what he's done for them is one that says, Jesus, I'll do the dirty work. Jesus, I'll give you my all. Jesus, I give you everything, no matter what it costs me, you can have it all. And so I ask you today, are there areas of your life you're still kind of holding onto that you need to let go and give to Jesus? There's some, some dirty work you know Jesus is calling you to that you've been holding back? Maybe it looks like more faithful church attendance and participation. It looks like being here more frequently. There's nothing wrong with vacations or breaks, but if you're in the mountains or the lake three out of four times, I don't really know what to tell you. That Look what Jesus has done for you. Let's be here to worship him. Families, maybe it means a, a lighter commitment to softball or baseball or band or gymnastics or, or whatever because I love your kid. I'm a youth pastor, and I pray they make it to the MLB, but they won't, and the MLB can't save their soul. Jesus can. Jesus can. Maybe it means like greater participation and serving in the church. That maybe you, you, you're here, you attend faithfully, you serve Jesus in your world, but, but there's still areas where you could contribute to our local church. I want to encourage you, if you can sing, join the band. If you love children, join Children's Church. If you can work a soundboard, they would love to have you back there. If you don't have any of that, talk to Pastor Billy and form a small group and start doing ministry that way. I want to challenge you, get involved in church, give Jesus your all. Or maybe there are areas of of sin and a lack of obedience. Maybe today is the day that you start killing your sin and living to Jesus. God, I'm such a control freak, but today I die to my own anxiety and control. And Lord, would you give me the fruit of the Spirit that is peace. God, I, I know I haven't been very gentle with my coworkers, with my spouse, my children, I haven't really had any patience, but t- today is the day, Lord, kill that in me and raise up gentleness like Jesus. God, it may be a process, but I'm done looking at that. It may be a process, but I'm done going there. It may be a process, but I'm done thinking that way. It may be a process, but I'm done with this addiction. Whatever it is, Christians impacted by the gospel say, Jesus, you can have my all. Give him your all today. But finally, maybe you're asking this question. Evan, this is good, good preaching, really enjoyed it, but I've heard this before. I've heard preaching that says, get on fire for God, love him, and I've been there, and like I've been so passionate for God that I'm ready to buy a one-way ticket to some foreign country and build a 1,000 churches, and then that one thing happens, and I'm way up here, and then boom, I'm back down here again. Evan, I don't, I don't wanna just know about revival, I want to know about vival, if that's a word. And I don't want to just be told how to be made alive. I want, to be, I want to stay alive. I don't want God to just light a flame in my heart. I want it to, to, to stay on fire. Well, as I think about this, I, I suppose that if it's the gospel that lights your heart on fire for Jesus, I suppose it's the gospel that will sustain you for Jesus. In fact, I think you need a daily dose of the good news of Jesus day after day, after day, after day, and that will keep you going. you might ask, okay, how do I go about that? I'm gonna give you the standard pastor answer that you are probably tired of hearing because it's so simple and so repetitive, but it's true. You need to pray, you need to read your Bible, and you need to come to church. I know that sounds elementary. I know it sounds basic, but we tell you to do it for a reason. Here's what I mean. I know prayer is kind of direct communication between me and God. I understand that. But prayer's got the gospel too if we pray the Jesus way. And in fact, Jesus' disciples approached Jesus one time and they said, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and wait for it. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. To pray how Jesus teaches you is to pray the gospel. Because to say, Lord, forgive me, means you have to admit that you're a sinner. But if Jesus is telling you to pray it, it means he's ready to forgive and he's a great and mighty savior. Every day you get up to pray, you are proclaiming the gospel to yourself. I'm a sinner, Lord, forgive me, and it's done. But what about Bible reading? I understand that when we read the Bible, not every passage is just like a big poster board that says Jesus has forgiven you. Sometimes it's about God creating the world. Sometimes it's about Leviticus, and we don't really know what's going on there, but some wild stuff's happening, and it's kind of interesting. Sometimes it's about Paul teaching us to live a virtuous Christian life. I understand that. Not every page says Jesus forgives you, but the general kind of shape of the Bible is one continuous story in which humanity falls into sin and Jesus comes to save them. That when you read your Bible every single day, you are joining the story that says, I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. And every day you open it up, you get the gospel. What about church attendance? Church attendance is awesome you get the gospel in like a billion different ways. Did you know that there's a reason that we gather on Sunday mornings? So the Jewish folks used to worship on the Sabbath. That was Saturday. But then when Christianity began, we actually began worshiping on Sunday, which is what we call the Lord's day. The reason that we worship on a Sunday, because on a Sunday is when Jesus rose from the grave that we celebrate every single Sunday to commemorate his resurrection. Which means when you gather here at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, time itself is preaching the gospel to you. We get up here and sing, and we sing songs about the gospel, about God's forgiveness and his mighty power and his mighty deliverance. We, We sing the gospel, we get the gospel in melody. And somebody comes up and preaches dad or Pastor T or me or Pastor Billy or whoever. And it's like the Bible. It may not always be a, a sermon only about the forgiveness of sins, but it's in there somewhere. It's the general story of the gospel. And so you hear the, the gospel on another man's lips. And the reason we participate in the church, we have communion. Paul says that every time we partake of communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We quite literally taste and see that the Lord is good, as the psalmist says. Why do we gather around the tank? Because if you're being baptized, you feel the gospel that your sins are washed away. That as you watch watch the person go down and up, you see death and resurrection. The reason we tell you to pray and to read and to be involved in the church is not to be repetitive or to treat you as, as, as elementary school children, but because these are the regular, everyday, ordinary means for you to get and to be sustained by the gospel. When you pray every morning, you hear the gospel on your own lips. When you read every morning, you read the gospel in the scriptures. When you gather on Sunday morning, time itself preaches the gospel. When you sing these songs, you get gospel in the melody. When someone preaches to you, you hear the forgiveness of sins on another person's lips. When you take communion, in, you taste and see the gospel. When you're baptized, you feel the gospel. Everything that we do is designed for you to get the gospel the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, because it is the only means in which you will be made alive and stay alive. And so I call you to a daily dose of the gospel. It's the only thing that can save you and sustain you to the end. So church, would you stand today? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are nine o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.